Thanks for having me on, Rosie. I'm so excited to have you here. You are one of our longest standing clients and one of the first people action in the industry. So I love, love watching you, um, the company grow, our friendship, our colleagueship. So I'm excited to chat with you today. So let's just do a little bit of background. First of all, what is the 90 second elevator pitch? What is Flowhub? So we're a point of sale retail management platform. Back when I started this company, Rosie, there, there was no system that would speak to the state regulatory body in Colorado. And so we were the first retail platform that actually communicated with the state regulatory system, which today is called metric. And in some states it's called biotrack. And uh, yeah, that's how we got our start. So we're like square, but for dispensaries. Amazing. And, you know, it's, I always say with the cannabis industry, it's being born in a tech era, right? So we really have an opportunity to bring best in class technology to the space, which is what Flow of is doing. So, but I want to talk a little bit about you. So you have extensive experience working in the cannabis industry. You've been at this a long time, as you mentioned. But for those who might not know, I'd love them to understand what your background was and how you actually found your way into this space. Yeah, I, I had a really personal experience with cannabis. So I was actually living in Los Angeles there for almost a decade. And along, along that experience of, of living there and being in entertainment business, um, I actually started a podcast company uh, really early. It was like 2007, probably. So it was like, we were, we were way ahead of the times. But through that experience, Rosie, I, I ended up being prescribed SSRIs, antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications. And I was on them for about a year and a half and I hated it, right? I just didn't, I, I didn't like who I was becoming. My personality changed. I lost my entrepreneurial drive. I just felt different and I wanted to go back to my baseline. So I went to actually just get off these medications on my own. And that proved to be extraordinarily difficult, much more so than I could have ever expected. I had crazy side effects. There's this well-documented phenomenon when you're coming off of SSRIs, it's called brain zaps. And it feels like there's electricity flowing from your brain down your spine into your lower back. It's a crazy experience and it's really distracting, right? So if you're like trying to get off this and like actually perform in life or or do anything, right? It's it's really debilitating. So I I went back to another doctor because I realized the first one really was just like giving me whatever without giving me much explanation. And and the next doctor I went to said, Hey, you can't get off this stuff. Like we have to put you on a different medication. I was like, wait, what? And that was the moment I figured out that doctors really look at prescriptions, like subscriptions, like these big pharma companies. And they really, it's a great revenue model, right? Because you're, you're stuck in this system on their medications for, for what could be a life sentence. And that to me was just unacceptable. So I went on this journey to figure out like how to actually get off this stuff naturally. And I, I, I actually saw, you remember that Sanjay Gupta special on CNN, Rosie? Of course. Yeah. Weed, you know, and Charlotte Figgy was taking this high CBD, you know, flower or oil RSO, I guess, Rick Simpson oil for, for seizures. And I thought, well, maybe, maybe I could try that. Like maybe that would work. So I bought a Pax Vaporizer, the first gen with the pop top. And I discovered a, a phenomenal medicinal strain called Harlequin, high in CBD, you know, relatively high in THC too, but a, a nice kind of like three to one, five to one ratio, 15% CBD to, you know, probably on average is like 5% THC. So it's kind of like just a nice sativa. I took that three times a day, morning, noon, and night, like medicine, right? I take like two puffs out of the packs for each of those doses. My body got really used to it. And it really did minimize the side effects to a, a, a like a, an insane amount, right? Almost to like barely noticeable and allowed me to live my life. And I, I fell in love as an entrepreneur with this plant. I was like, okay, we got to bring this to the masses. I was spending time online on these forums, 
talking to other people, trying to get off these medications, recommending cannabis and other people had great success. So I just, I was like, this is my life mission. We have to figure out how to bring cannabis products to the greater, you know, population. And, um, and I, that's when I became an advocate for legalization. And I learned all about the racist roots of cannabis and, and the drug war. And like, it just really opened my eyes to this whole part of society. I didn't really, really comprehend previously, but having that personal experience, Rosie was, was the basis for, for starting flow up. And then we moved to Colorado, you know, we found out our first daughter's due date was going to be April 20th. I was like, what, you know, the universe is, yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, that, that's really how this all came to be. And then I, like, I figured I love technology and wanted to figure out how to infuse technology, you know, with, with this, like with legalization and bringing products to people. And, and it turned out that the, the number one thing that we could solve for uh, back in the day in 2014, during that first year of open store legal stores and, uh, in Colorado was, was point of sale and retail management. It turned out that was where we could spend our energy because people couldn't scale back then. It was very difficult because of the amount of regulatory overhead. So technology, you know, has played a key part in legalization. I think more so than people probably realize. Um, you can see where investor dollars have flowed, you know, kind of flowed over the years and they've gone into like MSOs, plant touching companies, brands, right? And I think a, a lot of times technology has been kind of this like back end invisible thing that's really been driving all that great companies, you know, from LeafLink, Flowhub, Dispense, right? You just have these really interesting companies coming out, but they're like really helping retailers scale. And that just wasn't around back in the day. So it's been cool to see the whole ecosystem uh, develop since then. Yeah. I want, to, I want to talk a little bit more about those early days. So, you know, um, you, you, you launched it to, um, you know, solve for some of these technology and efficiency in this space, but were there any specific instances that pushed you to start developing the platform? Like what was that aha moment? And also like you just mentioned like investors, what was the initial reaction when you first started pitching the idea? Like what, what did investors say? Like, how did you really get it off the ground, you know, with building the team? I'd love to learn about those early days. Yeah. It's, it's a great question, right? So when, when we moved from LA to Colorado, I uh, reached out to a couple of folks. I worked for Dixie Elixirs and Weed Maps, doing some marketing consulting and building some of the social media presence for those companies. And I'd done some of that in in an earlier startup I did in LA for celebrities, you know. And, and so it was just a really interesting, you know, experience working for those businesses as a consultant. And then ultimately found my way into managing uh, compliance for a vertical supply chain. So we had to grow a manufacturing facility. And, and a dispensary. It was actually Rosie while I was sweeping the grow facility when I was coming up with with Flow Hub. I remember distinctly sweeping out our grow rooms after one of our harvests, and you know looking at the metric tags and just thinking about the future of the space and thinking about all the problems we had as a, as as a supply chain in our own vertical small vertical business. And it it was really clear to me, clear as day, that like a, a system like Flow Hub had to be developed. And that we needed open APIs to metric. And that's actually in 2014, I started lobbying the Department of Revenue here in Colorado to open up APIs to the state reporting system. Back then it was called MITS. It's called metric today. And, uh, and you know, I, I remember meeting up with Jeff Wells, who was the, the founder and CEO of Franwell, the parent company of metric, and just saying, hey, you should be a platform. You know, I think he had been thinking about some of that too. And that, you know, it all eventually came together. And in 2016, we got those first endpoints. So that was really like, it was just, it was my experience firsthand, really like working in the grow, the manufacturing facility and the dispensary, trying to make sure we were keeping up with all the compliance mandates. And, and the, you know, we were very early in 2014 and developing a supply chain. And so we had the, you know, state regulatory body auditing our facilities, consistently using it as a training 
you know, and, and it was just, it was, it was messy in the early days for everybody because we were trying to figure it out. But I, if you can believe it, Rosie, back then we had probably seven or eight people over the course of, you know, the, whatever, the year I was there that were manually writing down metric tags on a piece of paper. And then we'd have to go back to the computer oh and like manually type them in. So I like built a prototype actually of what we now call the nug and it would auto scan in the tags, the Bluetooth scanner, you know, macros into the site. You just, so, it would, you know, we didn't have APIs. So it would like auto populate the forms and press enter. So it was like really rudimentary, but it was the beginning of like, okay, if we automate this and if we make this easier and we build easy interfaces for people that don't know tech that well, we can make all of this simple. And then that leads to better consumer experiences because the technology is getting out of the way. And that, yeah, so it was, we were early. There was, I think we were probably one of the first tech companies to come out of adult use, you know, in the United States, which is kind of cool. That is really cool. And, you know, just, just how the platform has evolved and you're evolving with the industry. But I also want to talk about, you know, um, about some of, how'd you guys raise funds in those early days? And you guys yeah. have an impressive roster of investors, including uh, a famous renowned venture capital a capitalist named Jay-Z, right? The Jay-Z. Yeah, that's right. And a that's lot right. of the, you know, the early um, investors in cannabis, but also mainstream tech. Tell us about a, like the early value proposition, how you got people on board and how you guys have, you know, maintained these relationships and how you, how you continue to pitch investors and bring funds in, especially in a tight market like we have now. Well, it's so funny. I, I mean, I, it's a great question. And it, it, a, it's, it's, it was really wild in the early days trying to raise capital for the space, because I remember when I started to tell people about this idea, they would say like, you're an idiot. You're going to get shut down by the feds. You're going to be put in a prison for the rest of your life. And I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure things are changing. I just was in California for a long time and clearly like the tide is turning, but people didn't see it that way. So it was very, you know, I was kind of in a, I remember having to tell my wife's family, like, you know, we're getting into the cannabis industry, you know, ultimately they were some angels. I put money in my parents' money, right? Like families ended up putting small amounts of money in early on alongside Poseidon, who led our first round, your, your friend, Emily Paxia. And I, uh, you know, we were like, yeah, another pioneer in the space. Yeah, just it was it was a really interesting early stage uh, of of the industry. So I remember I met Emily Paxia and Morgan Paxia in mid 2014. It was probably October 2014, and there was a company called Mass Roots that was like a popular social app back in the day where you could because Instagram wouldn't let you post pictures of cannabis at all. You know, they created this like kind of Instagram for for cannabis uh, users and consumers. And there was like, they were putting on some like pitch thing. And I went there and just to meet people and meet more folks in the, the, this burgeoning space. And Emily happened to be one of the judges at the time. I mean, this is like so early, you know, like so early. Just, I mean, I remember masters. I mean, uh, these are our first story yeah. with masters. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, this was like, this was so early in the space. I, and, and so yeah, met Emily, you know, obviously got her information and, and just, you know, let her know that I was thinking about some things and ultimately, yeah, she led our, our round and then friends and family came in and we raised a half a million bucks to prove out that we weren't crazy. Uh, we could get APIs. And, uh, and I remember in those early days too, Rosie, I think maybe it was like 2016, you know, uh, or it was 2015, but I remember the CNN money story about, you know, having cannabis, we were allowing people to use cannabis in our office that blew up, ended up being in the monologue for Jimmy Kimmel. And that went on for like two weeks. We were kind of this like global story about consuming cannabis in the office. And I, I, I know, you know, in those early days, that's something that I think helped spread our brand around and let investors know that we were real. Was that like, okay, these guys are a little edgy, but you know, they're, 
instead of you know serving alcohol on a Friday at 5 p.m., they seem to be allowing their employees to consume cannabis. And that was just that that story was a great way to to express openly like why it, like we're just trying to normalize this. Like, why is alcohol okay at the office? You know, and just those early days of advocacy were so important. And they are, yeah. I think they really shape how people, you know, see it today, right? These early stories that like let the yes. world know that cannabis is here in the industry and really impressive people who um, are getting things done. It, I, I could not agree more with you. I mean, that foundation was so important, I think, to, to all the work that's being done today by all these next generation entrepreneurs in the space. It's really cool to see the evolution. You know, I mean, I, I still can't believe that like, you know, nearly, it was about eight, nine years ago, there was just one US market with adult use. You know, Washington shortly followed Colorado, but yeah. pretty amazing to think about it. And then that Super Bowl, I remember right around that time was like, wasn't that, it was like Washington versus Colorado it was kind of this two stoner. Oh, right, um, that's right. That's right, yeah, that was right. Um, that was, that was like the Seahawks versus, uh, versus the, the Broncos. Broncos. 2015, I think it was. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was like 2015. I remember that being hilarious and all the late night shows talked about it. It was a really beautiful like coming out for cannabis, right? And adult use and people started to become more comfortable. And that first two years was extraordinarily magical uh, to be on the ground floor of because it was just like, it, it was, there couldn't be more momentum, right? Is this going to be legalized in three years by the feds, right? That's like fast forward almost, you know, eight, nine years later, nearly a decade later. And we're still, you know, we're, we're getting closer. We're still a little bit far away, I feel like, but we're getting closer, we're inching closer, you know, to full federal legalization. But it's what, what a, what a ride. It's you know, been and you were early, you were early too. You were early we knew too. each other. We did see an money story together. It was like that's so right, long ago. Right. And uh, it's funny, like you mentioned the Bronco Seahawks. I had moved to Seattle that year, and my husband was actually working for Paul Allen, who uh, you know was the owner of the Seahawks back then. And uh, that was like the first year I just got in the space, and they were playing each other. I remember all that buzz. It was almost like you know predicting the future, at least for me personally. But I do want to talk about the future and the evolution. So very exciting. Flo recently launched Maui, which is like your new uh, cannabis retail platform that gives dispensaries greater flexibility to adapt um, to this involving consumer demand, right? We're saying there are more markets online, more people coming online, different regulations. So talk to us about how Maui came to be. I also want to talk about the origin of the name. I think people are, are sort of curious about. And how is the new system different from your original? And what's the response been so far since you guys have launched it into market? Yeah, great, great question. So Okay. Okay. So, okay. The, the origin of Maui, you know, look, when, when I founded flow hub, like we were talking about, there was one U S market open and that was Colorado. And the, you know, we had to make a lot of bets and guesses about what the future was going to look like. Right. Is like, we had to ask questions back then. Like, is every state going to adopt this metric system? Is that the new normal? Is every state going to have the same tax structure on infused products? You know, are, are there going to be the same purchase limits in every state? Like how dynamic do these things need to be? Right. So there's all these questions that we had to kind of answer back then. And we obviously had to guess at most of them, right? Because it was, do, will we get an API eventually? Or will we have to use macros to, uh, you know, put information into it, which is like, not that that's not like how you do things in the scalable fashion, right? Like put things in a metric right. in a very manual way. So like, there was just all these things we had to, had to consider. And so if you, you know, fast forward a bit, 2016, right? We launch, we get metric APIs. Great. Colorado's going well, Oregon turns on, we expand to Oregon. They kind of like do similar things in the beginning. They're using metric. Great. It seems like we're on the right track. And then you know, things start to really change, right? So Oregon's like, no, we're actually going to look at edibles this way. And we're like, oh, wow, our data model doesn't allow for that, 
we, we need to go build that. And so when you think about all these new states coming on, things really started to fracture and we had to continue to build on this early stack that we had. In fact, I remember in early 2017, we were scaling in Colorado and these, I, I want to say we were in Oregon by that point. And, uh, and one of our biggest competitors at the time actually completely crashed. Like they were down for a month. They had some massive issue. It was, I mean, it was literally a month, right? Like they were like, like retailers by like day three are like, wait a second, are we coming back up in week one? Like they're still down. So we really took a lot of that business because people needed an alternative and we had a great piece of software back then, but it was still like in a prototype phase. We weren't sure how this, like, you know, when you're building software, you want to build it in a way that's very agile, that you can change things willy nilly as needed based on what the market's telling you, right? If you, if you build in secrecy and you never have customers on your platform, then how do you really know you're investing in building in the right things, right? Are you really building customer value? So, you know, the idea is you should be really embarrassed by your first products because that means you launched right. early and that's good because you're getting good feedback and you're building a foundation. So like, we did a lot of the things right back then, but also with all the new markets coming on and shifting and changing, we just built a lot of what's called technical debt into the application. The application was great. I mean, people have scaled businesses that do hundreds of millions of dollars a year on it. But you know, the issue is at a certain point, it's really hard to continue to scale because you're now trying to fix things at the same time you're trying to build new things, trying to refactor a particular part of your app or add new features over here. And that just really leads to a slow development process. It leads to instability. And for us, that was really the impetus to go, you know what? We, we were really early in this space. What if we took a step back and we really analyzed what we could do better so we have a strong foundation for the next decade in the market? And this, you know, a lot of companies go through this inflection point. And so that really was the impetus to, you know, nearly two years ago now to go, okay, let's really rethink how we're going to build moving forward. How can we make sure that we can enable interstate commerce when that happens? So if I'm a retailer that needs to ship product from one state to another, I can do that on this platform right now. Now, did we actually build out that full feature? No, but we, the data model allows for that, right? So when the time comes, we can go build that really easily, right? So it's just, it's a highly flexible system. If a state changes a regulatory schema, you know, midway through the year, and it needs to be done on Monday, we have a no code interface now to go in and just like tweak buttons and stuff. And we can just change how, you know, dials and how the state works with all the variants that we've seen. Now, did we cover everything now with the future is going to hold? Like, no, of course not. We're humans. And we're, we also are making bets now on what the future will look like. So we certainly have got things wrong too, but it does, it's still a phenomenal piece of software. And it, you know, it's just, we're, we're, we're just a lot more, we have a lot more wisdom now building, right. Compared to the, the earlier days. And I think that's, you know, one thing that, you know, that that's important to note, right. For retailers and, and other stakeholders, maybe it's a grower or whatever is, you got to really make sure that you're working with a technology company that's been in the space for a while and really understands the nuances of these markets. There, you know, we've seen so many new players come and go because they come in thinking this is going to be low-hanging fruit, this is easy, and it turns out not to be that way because of the the highly regulated nature of of the space and and the 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 differences in each market, each state. You know, I often tell people like we we build for essentially an international model domestically. Right, we have to build software that works in all of these disparate markets with no real unity between them, and that's that's extraordinarily difficult to do at scale. Which is why you see companies that kind of like form in one market, they do well there, but they can't really expand outside of it. And we, you know, from the early days, we expanded outside the market, so we have a really strong muscle, you know, around expansion and 
and scale. So it's, it's exciting. I mean, it, you know, we'll see what the next decade holds, but like we're, you know, the, this idea, this mission and vision of, you know, building uh, a, a product that helps, you know, these cannabis retailers sell safe cannabis products to their consumers is, is, is really incredible to see happening. It's an amazing partnership. Yeah, I, I love it. And, I, you know, there's something else you guys have done in terms of like, I think you guys like sort of built the backbone of tech for the industry with what you've been doing. But also you guys, I think, are probably one of the only, if not only, POS provider that's really involved in the federal legalization efforts. I know you've been doing this for a while. You're a founding member of the Cannabis Trade Federation and the U.S. Uh, Cannabis Council. So I want to talk about some, you know, current events. What does Biden's recent announcement pardoning all prior federal offenses, marijuana possession, what does it mean for flow of and what do you think needs to happen next to continue propelling this forward, you know, for the conversations that you're privy to in Washington? Okay. That's, it's a really good question. I, I real quickly, I do want to answer why this is called Maui real fast because oh, yeah, I, forgot. Think that's important. Important. That's, I, I love the technology platform, but I wanted the name, right? I forgot. I know. So, platform. so flow up. So is interesting during the pandemic, we had to take the company fully remote February. We were early February, 2020. We said, we're closing our office doors and we're, we're going to go remote. One of the things that that allowed our team to do is like, go visit their family, go live with family, go do things that they couldn't do before, you know, come work on their, you know, Zoom and Slack and and check in remotely, but like have fluidity in their life to explore in a different way. We took that on as a family and we moved to Kauai. So we moved to actually the North Shore of Kauai during the pandemic. And it was a really incredible experience, right? My wife and I had never had a honeymoon because we started this company early on. You know, the kids had never really been on a vacation uh, in all these years, we have three children. And so like, we were like, let's go there. Like, let's hunker down. We'll test how being a remote really is. Like I, I woke up super early every day, worked until evening time and then spent time with the family. And it was an amazing experience where right? got so close to my family, like bonded with my kids, bonded with my wife on a whole nother level and really was more productive than, than I'd been in, in, in an office, which I thought was kind of like, kind of crazy, like that this is really interesting. And so one, I fell in love with the Hawaiian islands. I was like, this is, these are beautiful people. This is a beautiful This culture. is my biggest this regret, is- by the way, when I lived on the West coast, we never went to Hawaii. We're never going to go now, right? From the East coast. It's hard. It's hard, right? Because it's so it's far. far. <laughs> it's so far. But you know, it was the, the the cannabis on the island was incredible, and I had nice. an amazing experience meeting growers and visited the. There's one dispensary on Kauai, and then I spent some time in Oahu later on in our experience and got to visit some more dispensaries and talk to more people in the industry on the islands. And you know, one of the, my favorite strains going back to California days is Maui Wowie. So I thought, you know what, it'd be really fun to name this new product, Flow Hub Maui, right? It's a, this legendary strain, Maui Wowie. We've all heard of it. It brings the island vibes, it's sativa, it's energetic. I mean, who doesn't want to go to Maui? And it just, it also brings some fun and light to the industry. I think the industry got kind of serious there for a little bit. Like we got really corporatized and serious and not, not Flow Hub, right? But as an industry, it just felt like we were losing those early fun roots that we had. I missed the days of going out to CNN Money or CNN Headline News or hearing Jimmy Kimmel talk about, you know, how a startup allows people to use cannabis in the office. Like we talked, right. Just, we lost some of that as an industry and it just got kind of serious. And we had like public companies and, you know, just constellation brands coming in. And, and like, so I just wanted to lighten it up a little bit. So flow of Maui, I, you know, I feel like lightens things up, brings the love, brings the good vibes, brings us back to our roots a little bit. And, you know, who doesn't want to celebrate some, some amazing legendary strain. And it also brings me memories of the islands, which I feel so attached to now. <laughs> I love that. I so, love that. I love that you've always brought this personal side of cannabis, you know, to the business, because I always say, you know, they, I think it's a, um, Ray Dalio line, like, you know, business, you know, uh, 
mixing passion, you know, with business is like you know, the key to success. Not that's not the quote, but that's the whole. I know you're sorry. It's in the principles book. Yeah, it is. In I, the I know. Book, yeah. Yeah, it's a great, if anyone wants a good read, Principles is a great book. Um, okay, so to answer your other question about federal legalization, Biden's remarks, you know, yes. So I've been involved with federal legalization efforts for for quite some time now. And many years ago, one of the things that I had thought a lot about is we, we started to see these bigger companies emerge, this consolidation. We represent so many amazing small businesses. These are small businesses on the front lines investing their family money into creating an entity to help their community, provide medicine in their community. And just, you know, th these people are also advocates and in love with the plant. And there's some amazing stories, right, uh, of these folks building these dispensaries. And for amazing reasons, they're doing so. And so, you know, one of the things when, when I was talking uh, with some folks here in Colorado, CTF, this Cannabis Trade Federation, started to come together. People were pooling money. The idea was, let's go pass federal legislation that helps drive the industry forward. You know, however, at the table were mainly large entities. Where were the small businesses, right? Of course, they're busy running their small business. They're not like they don't have the, the resources or time to, to go drive, you know, some change at the federal level directly, right? So we felt like we had a duty on behalf of all of these businesses that use FlowHub to get out there and be their voice. And so that was really the beginning of the efforts to get out at the federal level, meet with legislators and really talk to them intimately about these small businesses and what's happening on the ground floor. And there's billions of do you know, dollars of, of cannabis commerce happening in cash. You know, hey, we need some legislation. These people need banking. They, they need safety. They right. There's like things that need to happen. It's not just about corporate cannabis. And um, and and so, you know, that that was really important. That ultimately became CTF became the US Cannabis Council. And, you know, it's been really interesting. I actually was invited to speak at the, the White House with Trump's head of domestic policy back in late 2019. That was such a cool experience. And again, repping small business owners at the table and, and making sure their voices were heard. And, uh, and you know, th that those efforts have not slowed down, right? You know, and, and I feel like we're, we're getting somewhere. It was great to see a standing, you know, sitting president say, hey, you know, like this needs to change now, like there, there's, there's words and there's action. So like, right. I, I'm, I'm eagerly awaiting some action to see like what happens there. We've talked about this long enough. It's very clearly this the deeply rooted, awful thing in the drug war. Like we got to get rid of this thing. We, we should move quickly. I think that there's enough legal States now that this should, that this should happen fast. But, you know, to be frank with you, Rosie, like I, I, I don't know if, if I'm, super optimistic that we're going to see change happen in this administration or during the lame duck session coming up here later on. But I, you know, I, I'm, I obviously like, I'm an optimist and I, I hope that, that we get some change, but I've also seen the movie a couple of times and it's just, this is, this is yeah, not right. so easy. There's a lot of opposing efforts against legalization, even though the majority of Americans want legal cannabis or they have it accessible to them. You know, the other thing I think to add to this, Rosie, is that I, I do think in many ways we already have federal legalization you know, they're, they're, the, the feds aren't actively shutting down legal markets, right? They're letting yeah. states run their own experiments. And so you have to question, like, is it really illegal to like right now? Like there's no, they're not enforcing these like really strong drug war, drug era, you know, drug war era law, you know? So it, I guess the, the, my point is there's not a lot of pressure from the public to, you know, the general consumer to, to force Congress or their, their, polit you know, their politicians to, to vote for legalization because like they already have access to it. So like it feels to the, the everyday consumer, like what's the big deal? I already have access to it. Like, I don't just, like, doesn't really matter to me. It is legal in all, for all intents and purposes. The inherent problems on the business side, right? 280E, this 
that this you know tax code at the federal level, which causes the effective tax rate to be insane for for retailers, right? It limits their ability to like scale their businesses, invest more dollars into their businesses, and so like there, there's a, there's a lot of other behind the scenes like things that happen because of federal illegality. But for all intents and purposes, it basically is legal today. So I think that's it's just it's just this interesting kind of like the, the these old era laws that we just need to get over and and um you know I don't we'll see hopefully hopefully like Biden's being very serious about it and it's not just mid midterm rhetoric but I'm very proud this is the first time in history we should celebrate the little wins this is the Absolutely. first time in history we've had a sitting president really talk openly about like produce a, like a nice video and put it online about like why this needs to stop and why we need to re deschedule cannabis yeah, and I, the, the descheduling and rescheduling language is super important too. But you, know, you talked a little about you know the this idea that we really do have more states online, and it feels like we do have more of like a national cannabis program. And to that point, voters in Arkansas, Maryland, South Dakota, and North Dakota, and Missouri will decide on cannabis legalization this November, a month from now. And polls indicate that the measures are likely to pass in Arkansas, Maryland, Missouri. Maryland is still a deep blue state, and Arkansas are decidedly not. So this is like one policy that Democrats and Republicans can come together and agree upon. So what do you think the holdup is on that federal legalization? And we, we know that people aren't being prosecuted, but like, do you have a prediction like when it might happen? I know we discussed, we not really learned not to bet on it, but like, what do you really think like makes that tidal wave crash? Well, I think, look, one, this is bipartisan. Like if you talk to Republicans and Democrats, they, they all agree for the most part that there should be some form of like legalization, that there should be some form of commerce. Not, not every individual politician agrees. But I just generally mean, if you just look generally across the aisle, there are there's agreement that this needs to be done. Now, what happens is there's a disagreement on how it should be done, right? On on the the, the right, you have people who think this just needs to be done with let's enable commerce, and then we'll figure out what we do about people in prison, what we do with social equity, right? On, on the other side, this opposing viewpoint, they they feel that we need to have we we, we need expungements and we need to immediately figure out a way to solve that problem. And then we can figure out the commerce problem, right? So it's, they're, they're, it's, they, they both want to solve the problem. One comes from a commerce purely perspective. The other is more of you know a social perspective. And they, there's no agreement on how to do that, right? Like, and actually like which approach works or maybe some hybrid approach, which is why, you know, safe banking needs to get done. Uh, we, we know that like, that's a really important piece of legislation. It doesn't change a whole lot, but it says, Hey, if you're a business owner, you get banking access, that's important. And it kind of says, Hey, to the banks, don't worry about it. If you're serving a cannabis company, as long as it's legal, right. Uh, legal licensed cannabis dispensary. So, you know, you look at legislation like that and then, you know, the, the, the there's kind of this like agreement that this needs to be done, but then, you know, the left goes, well, we need to add social equity to this. And then the right's like, well, like let's just pass commerce and you know maybe convince more of us that this is important to deal with right so it's just, it's just kind of this interesting dynamic happening at the federal level that I've seen that go on for years so you know I, I'm learning more and more about politics and how this works and there's like there's obviously these like political cards to play every election uh, midterms the cycle right like they, they you know there's these cards you play and those cards are like really controversial things and like cannabis kind of fits that still, even though it's bipartisan, right? Like I was saying, it's, it still fits this kind of like, it's a card that politicians can play. So the second it's legalized that you can't play the card anymore, really. Absolutely. So I yeah. wonder if some of that, is, you, know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And that's what they were saying, like, uh, 
be careful, like every little bit of incremental uh, legalization is great, but like that could be like years hold up because they've got something passed, right? So we just like don't know how this will play out, but hopefully, you know, we're all pushing towards, uh, you know, where we need to go. Um, I, I want to shift gears a little bit. You know, we talked a little bit about, you know, what the president is doing in terms of, you know, wronging some of those, uh, righting some of those wrongs that uh, were caused by the failed war on drugs. But I want to talk about what you guys are doing, you know, as a company, Global Social Equity Program, provides unrepresented dispensary owners, um, including those who have been previously involved in marijuana convictions, access to operational resources that discount. So how has the program grown and evolved over the years? And what other measures is the company taking to support communities impacted by the war on drugs? I, 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 I'm I so proud of our social equity program. You know, one of the things that we saw and we discussed as, as a team at Flow Hub is the, the lack of, of aggressive state work being done, uh, meaning like the states, they, they talk about social equity, talk about social equity and talk about social equity, but like nothing was actually happening. And I had a, the opportunity to meet some amazing entrepreneurs, you know, underrepresented folks that have trouble finding, you know, just cash to support their business. They have trouble raising money and, you know, it's just, it's, it's a different game for them. And so, you know, limited network to go, you know, work their way into. So we thought long and hard about, well, look, we have this mission to make safe cannabis products accessible to every adult on planet earth by empowering dispensary owners. Let's empower underrepresented dispensary owners. There's a lot of them coming into the industry and like they need our help. And so um, what happens is, you know, an underrepresented dispensary owner would come onto flowup.com. They would click our social equity program, apply for it. And then we do a review of their application. Do they have a social equity license? What's their story? Is this a legitimate, you know, social equity applicant? And if the answer is yes, then we'd actually give them, you know, service. Uh, this program has evolved over the years, uh, the last couple of years, but we'd give them service for, for a very, very discounted rate. I mean, essentially free, right? And to date we've, You've granted about $4 million of um, software and services to, to underrepresented dispensaries. And I think we have probably the largest private social equity program uh, in the industry today. And, you know, and I'm really proud of that. I mean, it's just amazing to get some of these stories from these operators about, you know, how, how much we've been able to help them. And so, the, the, you know, this has now turned into a jumpstart program where, you know, you start to hit certain revenue milestones and we upgrade you into different tiers. And it's just, it's, it's really cool. So it's really about helping under-resourced, underrepresented dispensary owners who want to serve their communities and help them get started, you know, the best we can. I mean, we've, th this is a communal effort to make this happen. And again, you know, like going back to my roots, the, the beginning of our conversation, Right. I, I like, I'm truly an advocate in this space and I love the plant. It's done so much good in my own life. I've seen it do, do good for other people and to, to be able to help underrepresented under-resourced dispensary owners is like another, another thing that I'm like really proud of. I just think it's really important. And I think every company in our space has a responsibility to, to set up a program in some way in, in their operations, because it's just, it's important. And we're, we can move significantly faster than a, than a government entity. And I, I always think like the more people we have in the industry, the more people that are enabled, the, the more likely we're going to get uh, federal, you know, legalization and, and really global, uh, you know, the U.S. obviously has a lot of influence over other countries and influence a global industry to emerge over the next many decades. And this is all just the beginning. We all have to contribute. This is not about quick money. This is not about, you know, getting rich fast for, for it shouldn't be for anybody, right? This is about, we should, we need to build a long, you know, strong foundation for this space. So. Absolutely. Our pro bono program is one of the things that I'm most proud of. And I agree with you. Like, we might not always be able to donate actual, you know, funds to every single organization, but being able to be able to see some, you know, real movement and be able to use your skill set and your team and your resources to help move people forward. And you see it actually making an impact and helping their business. Like, 
what could be more rewarding, right? And I think it does right. really help. You know, everybody can do their part. It doesn't always have to be like with an actual dollar. It can be with your company resources. So kudos to you and the Flow Hub team for making Thanks. it a priority. And then yeah, you think- what's next for you and Flow Hub? What's what's next for us? You know, like this has been a long journey already, right? Um, I'm excited about this Flow Hub Maui launch. It's been a lot of fun and, you know, just bringing this to a broader audience is just really exciting as we continue to roll this out across the U.S., and so like that, that's, I think that's where, where my head's at. Right. And, and just really uh, trying to help all these business owners scale, right? Like that's, that, that is our duty. Like we, we, we need to be the platform that doesn't get in the way, right. That serves uh, customers with ease and, and helps them grow their businesses. I think that's, that, that's it. So that's, that's what I'm focused on, you know, enabling payments in the space. We lost a payment product earlier this year, a compliant payment product that's working really well. So excited about that. And it's great to see you know, folks have increased basket sizes of 33% on average. Beautiful thing, right? Give consumers Love an easier that. way to pay. So like, it's just cool. Like, I mean, do, you know, I, I'm excited about watching all of this continue to grow and, and uh, yeah, you know, it's a lot of fun. So. Well, thank you so much, Kyle. It's been amazing to be long-term partners with you guys and watch what you're doing to help move this industry forward. And um, hope you'll come back soon and we'll talk, you know, more about the future of Flow Up. I love it. I mean, this is this has been awesome, Rosie. Thanks for doing this interview today. It's it's always fun chatting with you.